0: This is Veasan's College Football Betting Podcast. Welcome in, everyone! Another edition of the VSIN College Football Betting Podcast. The regular season, championship week in the rear view. I did a little homework, went back and looked at the Thursday podcasts, and uh, was was pleased. Especially, thankfully for me, I had a good run to close out the year because uh, I guess I didn't start all that hot. Matt Eumanns finished 56-44-1 on his Thursday best bets. That included, I had to go back, a week zero, three and one week. Uh, and I went 36-28. And, 28 and uh, fortunately for us, wrapping up with a 4-0 championship week. So we roll on. We have bowl season ahead. We do have one regular season game remaining. Army and Navy. Adam Burke is in the house. at skating tripods on Twitter. His power ratings article is up. This is a stock report we will get to in just a moment. We've got a playoff. We've got it all set. And for you, Adam, I'm sure you are a happy man on Friday night. I had Utah, so I was a very happy man. But USC loses, leaving the door open for your Buckeyes to head into the playoff. And that is where we stand right now. Georgia, Ohio State, they will play on New Year's Eve in the first semifinal. Actually, the second semifinal will be the Peach Bowl eight o'clock Eastern. And then the first semifinal will be TCU and Michigan. There was a lot to do about who should get in, Adam. I just want to start with, did they get it right in your eyes? I know we're a betting podcast. We'll get to the numbers that are all out there. I'm just curious to put on our just normal college football hat for a moment. Do you believe they got it
1: right? Yeah, they got it right. And also I think that they didn't really want to run back Ohio State, Michigan right away. So leaving TCU at three makes a lot of sense. They got it right. I will say this. I was concerned, and I was kind of talking to some people who were extremely of the belief that TCU was in no matter what happened in that Big 12 championship game. I kept saying, look, the elephant in the room here is the almighty dollar, right? Alabama's a much bigger draw than TCU. If the committee can find a way to close the gap and give themselves a choice, they'll put Alabama in because Alabama brings... To what two or three times the ratings of TCU, obviously a lot more interest, all of that, but the gap wasn't closed enough. TCU lost in overtime, they didn't have anybody get hurt or anything like that in that game. So the committee got it right, they've got the right four teams in there. And uh, I was very happy on Friday night with Ohio State, you know, getting into the playoff. We'll see how happy I am on New Year's
0: Eve with that tough draw against Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, early lines right now. Uh, we are as we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, we do have lines. At DraftKings, uh, looks like Circa's starting to post some bowl game lines as well. MGM's got them all. But uh, the playoff lines have been out. And Georgia right now, at most spots, is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. There's some sevens out there. And uh, Michigan is, this is interesting, as of time of record, Michigan is laying seven at Circa, but as high as nine at the south point. So some differing opinions on that first semifinal, which will take place in Glendale, Arizona, between Michigan and TCU. Ohio State, the news coming out on Monday that Jackson Smith and Jigba will not play in the bowl game. Uh, a guy who had just a year ravaged with uh, with that hamstring injury, so he's going to continue to prepare for the NFL draft. So I guess early thoughts, we'll get to your stock report here in just a moment. Early thoughts, any feel one way or the other of a of a potential play in either one of these semifinals no I don't think so I mean I think both of these lines not surprisingly are very
1: very good I've I've got Ohio State and Georgia at six and a half and then I've got uh, TCU and Michigan at nine so pretty much in line with kind of where my numbers are so wouldn't wouldn't never play from a power rating standpoint I do think it's really interesting to sort of go a little bit micro here and talk about Ohio State in the sense that they have not played up to their power rating most of the season. But there's still a lot of respect out there for the Buckeyes. I know our mutual friend Brad Powers took Ohio State plus seven. That was something that he released uh, to his email clients and all of that. So I think it's really interesting because when you look at this matchup for the Buckeyes against Georgia, it's not a good one, right? I mean, Georgia, clearly the best team in the country. Mm -hmm. They're very, very physical. They're going to win the battle in the trenches in this game. There's no question about that. But when you look at Ohio State, you look at them from a power rating standpoint, you look at them from a talent standpoint, I think they're one of two teams that can beat Georgia. The other one's not in the college football playoff, and that's Alabama. So I just sort of look at this game, and I think to myself, you know, this is not a good matchup for Ohio State physically, but you have to respect the talent that the Buckeyes have and having effectively a month to maybe get – Mayan Williams healthy to get Trayvon Henderson, possibly healthy to at least be at full
0: strength at the running back position, despite not having Smith and Jigba at wide receiver. You look at the last four years of the playoff, there has been exactly one game decided by less than a touchdown. I mean, that just kind of goes to show you and you can even go deeper back. Basically in the entirety of the playoff, we've had, the Sugar Bowl in the first year of the playoff, 2014, that was when Ohio State upset Alabama, 42 to 35. The other semifinal was a blowout, Oregon, Florida State. And following year, two blowouts. Following year, two blowouts. Following year, that was Georgia, Oklahoma, Rose Bowl. That was the epic double overtime. Baker Mayfield uh, losing to Georgia. There, other playoff uh, semifinal, Alabama won by 18. We have not had a history in this now going to be the ninth installment of the college football playoff, Adam, where we've had a close game. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, History would tell us that at least one, if not both, of these games is going to be kind of a snooze fest and a potential blowout. And
1: I I would say, despite the line, despite the fact that, you know, Ohio State is, is mostly the third choice right now to win the national championship, as much as it pains me as a Buckeyes fan to say this, I think this is the game that would be more likely to be a blowout and be a Georgia blowout at that because TCU and Michigan, very, very different styles for those two teams. TCU, much more of a finesse team. I do think I could make the same case I just made for the Peach Bowl about the Fiesta Bowl that you know we saw TCU really struggle twice with Kansas State. Mm-hmm. We saw them nearly lose to Baylor. Two of the more physical teams in the Big 12, two of the teams in the Big 12 that can actually run the football, Michigan can obviously run the football with or without Corum. And of course they won't have Blake Corum in uh, either of the games, assuming that they win, but you know, and this maybe isn't the greatest of matchups for TCU, but I still don't really see them getting run off the field. I don't think Michigan's offense is as explosive as Georgia's in, in this type of setting. So I think that Georgia winning in a blowout is probably more likely than Michigan winning in a blowout. And I don't think either dog is really capable of winning a blowout fashion.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I would be stunned if, TCU who couldn't blow out basically anyone in the big 12 could blow out Michigan and uh, you know, Ohio state, I think has the capabilities of doing so, but not against a Georgia team that I was very impressed with what we saw on, on Saturday. I see that uh, things are really going well there uh, down in Baton Rouge on special teams, knowing all situations. <laughs> that was uh that was a uh, painful, I imagine for, for some who uh, took the points. I know Matt humans uh, had the points with, uh, with LSU in that spot. I just, you know, all day on, you know, Saturday was kind of the talking point of, well, what would the line be if Alabama played TCU? And, and I look, you and I, our listeners, we're gamblers, right? We focus solely on gambling and, you know, lines and, and all of that. And I bet my fair share against TCU this year. I, I didn't understand this discussion of, of Alabama. Games have to matter at some point, Right even though every odds maker that you, you will talk to would absolutely have Alabama as maybe a touchdown or more favorite over a TCU team games have to matter. And they played 12 regular season games. TCU went undefeated. They had a common opponent in Texas and TCU was the far superior team. When you look at that particular game, they had a better win against Kansas state. So I get it. Alabama lost two games One in overtime, one in a last-second field goal, both coming on the road. But TCU lost one game, and it was in overtime on a neutral field in a revenge spot for their opponent. So I just don't know. Honestly, you know, Adam, if you wanted to make the case, it would be the case that Alabama deserved to get in over Ohio State because Ohio State, in their lone loss, got blown out as a a, a touchdown-plus favorite at home. But I have no problem with this, you know, the precedent had been set for years, whether it's right or wrong. We haven't seen a two-loss team make it. And we weren't going to see a two-loss team that didn't even win their division make it into the college football playoff. So, you know, that's that's where I stand. I'm totally good with the with the playoff the way it is. I'll be honest. I kind of would have loved to see a rematch of Georgia, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. I think that would have been a lot of fun. You know, ring in the new year. 17 million people watched that on uh, the Saturday after uh after Thanksgiving, I think the viewership would have been tremendous. But, you know, TCU deserved to be the number three team, in my eyes, based off of what they did this year. Have I bet against them a lot? Yes. Did I bet against them on Saturday? Yes. But they deserve to be here, in my eyes.
1: I mean, they won games, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, that was the bottom line for TCU, was that they found ways to win. And obviously, some of them were very, very crazy. You Think about the, the fire drill field goal. Against Baylor. Baylor, yep. You know, I mean, and Alabama had a couple of those toss-up games that they didn't win. You know, and and if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt against Texas, they probably do lose that game, which I'm sure was taken into account by the committee. And Alabama very easily could have beaten both Tennessee and LSU. I mean, they also could have lost they, to Texas A&M too, right? Yeah, and Texas A&M was awful this year. So, yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of different ways you can spin this. Like I said, the only thing that I was really worried about was, as you said, the games have to matter. So the dilemma that I kind of ran into surveying this whole thing was, do the games matter more than the dollar signs? Because Alabama is a significant draw. Much TCU played the conference championship game a half hour from campus, and it was probably 55-45 Kansas State fans. Absolutely. So, you know, from that respect, if you're looking at that as a college football playoff committee where you want to get the four correct teams, but also you want to line the pockets of everybody involved... They could have found a way to make a decision to put Alabama in there, but thankfully they didn't. They made the right call for the sake of college football and the integrity of the playoff, not just for the dollar sign. So I give them credit
0: for that because I honestly wasn't sure that that would be the case. So we've got bowl matchups. We will have multiple podcasts for you guys throughout bowl season, trying to do some as close to bowl games as possible with updates on opt-outs, injuries, whatever it may be, coaching changes. Obviously, a lot has already transpired, and we're going to get to a very interesting bowl matchup early on in bowl season with a coaching change that happened on Monday. But before we jump into that, let's get to Adam's stock report. Adam's stock report. And Adam will start positively. Stock up. All right, your number one team that improved, and I can't believe we're starting this Podcast this way. Well, I guess we're not starting it this way. We did start with the playoffs, so we won't get fired there. How about them New Mexico State Aggies? Plus five (laughs) and a half. The biggest riser. There are a couple other teams we'll hit on, too. Um, But New Mexico State, the Fighting Jerry kills. They get the the waiver to go to a bowl game. And they will be playing, ladies and gentlemen, the day after Christmas against Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, Michigan, get fired up. But the Aggies pummel Valparaiso, I believe a non-scholarship FCS team. They got their senior day. They wanted to celebrate their seniors. They did so. Why the big move for New Mexico State?
1: Well, I had to give New Mexico State some credit for the body of work. And look, I understand that, you know, when you run down their six wins, Hawaii, New Mexico, UMass, Lamar, Liberty, and Valparaiso. So really not a whole lot to get excited about there, but the Aggies are a program that would have lost some of those games in previous seasons. And Jerry kills done a phenomenal job here. They had almost 12 yards per play in the game against Valparaiso. So they had virtually nothing to play for. Obviously Valpo didn't either, but they still went out there, did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Maybe Liberty quit on the season, that 35 point win a couple weeks prior, but still I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, Look, and also I think something that's important to point out here is, you know, I take my end of season power ratings and use them as a guide for the following season. So obviously this is a program on the rise to a degree. So I gave them a bump here going into bowl season. And also when I looked at my number against Bowling Green, I was actually quite a bit off market in that one with Bowling Green, a much bigger favorite. Uh, so I made that adjustment for New Mexico State and Jerry Kill's not good in bowls, by the way. So. We'll see what the Aggies do against Bowling Green, but I, I gave them some love here at the end of the year.
0: 65-3 win over Valparaiso. I believe they closed around a 32-point favorite. I did not have that one on my card this weekend. I I wish I did. I wish they were all that easy, but they uh, they pummeled the uh, Valparaiso there as they head into bowl season. All right, two teams that won their conference championships in both impressive fashion, and we'll start with a team that I would say for the most part this year has been a disappointment where they started preseason Couple of their uh, their losses, going up to South Bend and getting absolutely manhandled by Notre Dame, losing the finale of the regular season to South Carolina, thirty-one to thirty. But Clemson comes out has what a series, two series with DJ Uyunglele, and then Cade Klubnick comes in and was was really good, and they. Dominated North Carolina, a team that completely fell apart down the se- down the stretch here, losing to Georgia Tech, NC State, both with backup quarterbacks, and then Clemson manhandling them. So the Tigers win 39 to 10 as a seven and a half point favorite. Cade Klubnik goes 20 of 24, 279, and a touchdown. He also ran for 30 yards and a touchdown. I believe he caught a pass in this game too, so he kind of did it all for the Tigers. So Adam. A riser for you. What did you do with the Tigers? Yeah, four point upgrade
1: here. I, I think Kid Clubnick is that good. I think the kid's the real deal. I mean, we know he was a five star recruit coming out of high school. This team just with DJU just didn't look the same, didn't feel the same, and and it also had kind of a negative impact on them defensively as well because the guy just wasn't putting up numbers, wasn't moving the chains effectively. They were very very dependent on Will Shipley in the running game, and. Now they're not, you know. Now they can kind of go back to potentially being that Clemson, should we call him a dynasty that we've seen over the last two years here, at least by ACC standards. So I think this is a move that kind of benefits everybody. This is the whole, you know, rising tide lifts all boats type of thing, in my opinion. Where Clubnik helps offensively, clearly helps defensively, helps with the ball prep, and also now you know your twenty twenty three starter is Cade Clubnik. And with DJ transferring out, we'll see where he ends up going, but. I just feel like that's a, I don't know why it took so long. I, maybe Davo was just loyal to a fault, but yes, he was. Yeah, he was. But <laughs> look, I mean, going into next year now, you you look at Clemson and you say, you know what? There were some warts on this team. There were some defensive issues, but if they iron those out, and if they're able to kind of make adjustments to the brain drain that they've had losing multiple coordinators over the last few years, as much as I hate to say this, marrying a South Carolina fan at Clemson, Making that decision, having Klubnick, and seeing
0: him have success quickly is a really, really big positive for this team going forward. Well, a lot of people speculated on Saturday night as that game was unfolding if the decision had been made like everybody had basically been clamoring for. I mean, we thought, and I <laughs> took a flyer on Cade Klubnick to win the Heisman after he played a little bit against Georgia Tech in mop-up time. Yeah, to one Yeah, 100-1. to <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think he's got a chance to go to New York, but... Uh, Look, look, the part should have made this move a long time ago, and it does make it interesting. Now, you always think about motivation. Is Clemson going to be motivated heading into the Orange Bowl on December 30th against Tennessee? I think they will be, and I think Cade Klubnick's going to want to play well, and uh, I think that's going to be a fascinating, you know, New Year's Six game. A lot of these aren't, you know, I'll be honest, but I think that's a game that certainly uh, intrigues me. Clemson right now at DraftKings as of time of record laying six against Tennessee. Another team that you uh, bumped up. And uh thankfully, uh I'm happy for my co-host Sean King on VCN Primetime, but I'm also happy for my pocketbook because I bet Tulane on Saturday. And they took care of business. Tajay Spears was phenomenal. Michael Pratt played one of his best games as a as a two-link as the Tulane quarterback. And now uh, now Tulane heads to the Cotton Bowl to take on USC. We'll see if uh, Caleb Williams with his hamstrings going to play in this game. Uh, obviously he has to come back for another season. So it's not an opt out type of situation, but just could be injury related. But what did you do with the green wave after their AAC championship victory on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I gave them a four point bump. I mean, I was still a little bit higher in the market uh, on that AAC championship game. I did play Tulane. I had that game five and a half and you know, it's at three and a half, four most of the week. John race Plumley just wasn't right for UCF in that one. But I got to putting together my numbers for the bowl season here, and I had USC significantly larger of a favorite than where this number is currently at. Now, Caleb Williams may not play, depending on how severe his injuries are. That's definitely a concern for the Trojans, I think, going forward. But I gave Tulane a bump of four points here. I mean, you know, they dominated that game. They avenged the loss that they had. I don't know if the AAC was really that good of a conference this year, but I still gave them credit for it. I probably had them lo- power rated a little bit too low to begin with, but I mean, you go back and you, you look at some of the results that we've had this season, and arguably the biggest head scratcher of the year: Tulane losing at home to Southern Miss. Rivalry game came baby. after that Kansas State victory, so maybe a little bit of a hangover there. But uh, yeah, when you, when you go back and look at some of these losses and you try to figure out what the hell happened, that's one where I I don't really have an answer. But I, I still gave Tulane some credit. I mean, they finished the season strong and. You know, obviously now we'll see kind of what happens with uh, you
0: know, with Willie Fritz and, and all the coaching situations going on with him. Yeah, some rumors out there that uh, Michael Pratt could be on the move in the transfer portal. That has not happened yet. I don't know if he's expected. I would anticipate, this is pure speculatory, that he will play in the bowl game. But there have been some rumors that he could be hitting the portal when the season is, uh, is all said and done. So we'll keep our eye on that one. Just thinking back. I guess maybe one of my better picks of the year was Southern Miss in that spot. I didn't pick them outright, but I just took the points in a rivalry game after the K State victory. Uh, but a very, uh, very good performance there. All right, just uh, a couple other you, you upticked. You know Fresno, Michigan, Georgia, a lot of these winners by uh, by one point. Two teams I just want to hit on real quickly in the in the uh, in the adjusted power ratings. And once again, you can always check this out. Vsn. Troy and UTSA, and a lot of these. You know bowl games when we'll get into them. Maybe don't have that much juice. The fact that UTSA and Troy are playing each other in the second bowl game is is awesome, and they're both ranked in the top twenty-five. So, what did you do with the CUSA and the Sun Belt champion, respectively?
1: Yeah, two-point adjustments up for both of them. I mean, you know, obviously Coastal Carolina was playing left-handed, so to speak, with Grayson McCall being hurt, but. Troy was just dominant throughout most of the season and I give them a lot of credit. And I think John Sumrall is probably going to get some calls for a bigger job next year. I don't know if he'll get it this year uh, with a lot of the coaching decisions kind of finalized at this point, but I do think that he'll be a very hot commodity on the market for next year and UTSA, you know, I think that what, what sort of happened with UTSA is we just, we looked at them from last year and, and how dominant and how exciting they were. And maybe they had some games that weren't overly exciting in conference USA this year but and they they're coming into this they started the year 1 and 2 with close with a close loss at Houston lost to Texas on the road they've been really good ever since so i had to give them a little bit of a bump here where i think that you know that's a team that's really really on an upswing but again you talk about some of the things going on here with you know coaching changes transfer portal all of that one of utsa's co-offensive coordinators now Appears to to be getting the job at Oregon. He's 33 years old. So, again, a lot of young innovators getting jobs at at major universities here. But that's something I just, maybe it'll segue into something else that we're going to talk about later on in the show. But head coaches get the headlines. I think the coordinators are a much bigger deal because Mm -hmm. those are the guys that work with the position groups, call the plays, all of that. Those are the things I really look closely at when you're handicapping these bowl games.
0: You know, I... I would have loved, I love that we get the matchup. It's a, it's a great matchup, but it's a three Eastern kick on Friday, the 16th. You know, this is, and I know a lot of these, got uh, bowl ties with different conferences and all of that, but if we could have figured out a way to have that Saturday, the 17th, that primetime game, which is now SMU BYU, because of the Raiders game getting flexed out of uh Sunday night football, which is a whole other bizarre circumstance where the Vegas bowl is now pushed up. But I uh, do like the fact that the uh, the bowl did come together where we get the two champs playing each other um, and an opportunity in a really good game there. So that's a, that's a fun one to keep an eye on. Uh, if you're wondering what the spread is on the cure bowl uh, looks like UTSA around a two point favorite, one point favorite at circa at time of record, two and a half at DraftKings, one and a half at Caesars. So kind of average them all together under a field goal. Uh, but A a pick'em game uh, down there in Orlando uh, between UTSA and uh, Troy. So before we uh, get to the teams that took a step back in your power ratings, any final thoughts on on who jumped up?
1: No, I gave UConn a couple point bump. I my line on their on their bowl game, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, was actually Marshall minus 17, and I realized that was pretty far off a market. So wound up adjusting both of those teams a little bit. I think I probably didn't downgrade Marshall enough for how they finished the end of the year, but for UConn it's not a ton of prep time, but it's certainly a lot more prep time than, you know, going week after week after week in the regular season. I do think UConn has a coaching advantage in that game against Marshall. So not necessarily the reason why I gave them a two point bump, but since that is, uh, you know, one of the earlier
0: bowl games here, that is one where I think UConn plus a couple points is a good adjustment. Yeah. Marshall and UConn. That is a December 19th game. And uh, looks like maybe some early money coming in on the Huskies. That number uh, is sitting at 10 uh, out of as of uh, as we record here on a Monday afternoon. All right, let's get to the other side of the coin, which is... Stock down. down. All right, Adam. So we looked at the teams that increased. A lot of these other teams are obviously going to have to do with opt-outs. And we'll start with Florida. They're coming to Las Vegas to play in the Vegas Bowl. They're playing Oregon State, who shouts to Oregon State, the Beavers. 10-2 ATS, the second best against the spread this year. The only one better, Tulane, as Tulane winning this weekend and covering finished 11-2 and over the regular season against the spread. So you got the Beavers taking on the Gators. Anthony Richardson has declared he's going to the draft. He is opting out. Uh, so certainly a big downgrade for Florida. Also, we don't know their backup quarterback situation because uh, the... Jalen Kitna. Yeah, the Jalen Kitna situation of that led to his... Uh, I, I, you know, arrest. We'll just leave it at that. So he's not on the roster. I don't know who they're going to have playing quarterback, but we know it won't be Anthony Richardson, which certainly is a big downgrade. Yeah, I don't even know if I downgraded them enough to be totally honest with you. And I I would
1: presume Osiris Torrance, if he hasn't already, will end up opting out of the bowl game. I know their wide receiver shorter, uh, has already opted out as well. You don't go to Florida to play in, in bowl games like that. So, you know, it's not really a big surprise that a lot of their guys have opted out. So far, I've dropped them seven points in my power ratings. I don't know if that's enough, to be completely honest with you. My line's eight and a half now, and I would expect that line to really keep taking off here for the Las Vegas Bull on the Oregon State side. So that's my initial move uh, on this game was to to drop them seven points, and it's up to 10 now in the market, so probably not enough. But, you know, it's also an interesting thing to talk about just in general with some of these opt-outs, and and there's another one at Western Kentucky here that I think is a big deal with Austin Reed, who I think is third in the nation in passing yards this year. I dropped Western Kentucky six points. One of the things that you have to figure out as we kind of look at more of the macro picture for the bowl season, are these guys individually just opting out because they're going to go in the draft or something like that? Or is this maybe an indication of the whole team and the perception of being in that bowl game? Because it does create opportunities for other players, right? Opportunities for them to kind of show something in those games for Richardson. I don't know if he's much of an NFL prospect anyway, but he seems to think that he is. And maybe his, you know, the, the people around him, the people that represent him think that he is that Utah but
0: game. It had him in the first round. That's true. That's very <laughs> true.
1: I, and also uh, will Levis is supposed to go third. So maybe my, uh, maybe my draft analysis isn't that good, but you, you just wonder, is it more of a team thing? Is it just an individual thing? Power ratings can never account for that. There's no way that you can quantify something like that. So well, I do make adjustments to my power ratings, I do generally tend to look more at the handicap of the game itself than what my line is, just because there are so many other variables that come into play.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned it. Uh, what did you do to Western Kentucky? And this is something to keep an eye on, right? Um, and we'll talk about Notre Dame um, with Drew Pine opting out uh, and some uncertainty there, who will be their quarterback for their bowl game against South Carolina on December 30th, the Gator Bowl. But Western Kentucky is playing on December 21st in New Orleans Bowl. They're playing South Alabama at at the uh, Caesar Superdome, and uh, Western Kentucky now an underdog to South Alabama because Austin Reed, as you pointed out, has hit the transfer portal, not going to be playing. So what did that do to to their power rating? So I dropped Western Kentucky six, and that may not be enough here. But, I mean, keep in mind, you
1: know, they had Bailey Zappi last year, and then they wind up with Austin Reed this year, a transfer from, I believe, West Florida, uh, I want to say and so I mean he came out just put up huge numbers in a system that's designed for quarterbacks to put up huge numbers I don't know who they have as the backup so I dropped them six points but this is an offense predicated on just being able to gain yardage and also they were really good at running the football too I think they ran for about six yards per carry or so so maybe they'll just rely on the run more but I dropped them six points here where you lose a quarterback that put up prolific numbers it has to create some kind of adjustment speaking of Maybe I didn't adjust Tennessee enough where I dropped them four more points here in light of Hendon and hooker being out. And I'm sure there will be other opt outs, possibly Jalen Hyatt uh, for that orange bowl against Clemson. Yeah.
0: And I, you know, I haven't made a bet yet and we're actually trying to think about when we should reconvene. Maybe we'll reconvene for a short pot on Thursday. You and I, Adam, just to talk about some of the opt outs, some of the transfers, if there's some early looks motivation, the more you kind of dive into it, I'm staring at, Uh, all these games right now and uh, you know motivationally Louisville and Cincinnati is another fascinating situation it comes out on Monday that Scott Satterfield is leaving Louisville to go to Cincinnati they are playing each other at Fenway Park on uh, on December 17th, 11 a.m., uh, obviously a weird circumstance with Cincinnati's head coach Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin, now Louisville losing their head coach, Scott Satterfield. So both teams will be without their head coach. They'll be playing at Fenway Park. I can't imagine the motivation is very high for either one of those teams. Uh, what did you do, though, with Louisville in the, with the news coming out that Scott Satterfield had departed?
1: Yeah, so three-point drop for me with Louisville, a lot of that has to do with Satterfield. A lot of it has to do with, as you mentioned, where he's going and how fascinating that's going to be because Cincinnati is making the move to the Big 12 next year. So if you're Scott Satterfield, right, you're obviously hitting the recruiting trail as much as you possibly can now in this short window that you've got before a lot of players commit. you got to hit the transfer portal hard as well, but also there's a lot of incentive for you to give your new program as much information about Louisville as humanly possible so you could try and win this game and get a little bit of momentum changing conferences. So, yeah, I wound up dropping Louisville three points here. And, you know, obviously, I mean, Malik Cunningham has been banged up all year long and pretty much throughout his Louisville career. Is that something that, you know, maybe he takes into consideration here in this game? I don't know, but it, it, it just felt right to give Louisville a little bit
0: of a drop here in this game. All right. So we'll wrap it up. I don't want to go too in-depth on these bowl games just yet because personally, I haven't done all the prep. I just want to glance over we've already hit on the playoff a little bit some of the more intriguing games to you what jumps out um you know i'll mention this i'm going to be doing sidelines for the vegas bulls of florida oregon state oregon state top 15 in the country so you know they get an opportunity on what would have been a bigger stage if the raiders game doesn't get flexed out of sunday night football so that is now instead of abc primetime, it'll be espn at 11 15 a.m Pacific time. Um, We talked about UTSA Troy. I think that's a a, a really cool matchup. How about the Kyle Van Treese revenge bowl and the chameleon bowl, (laughs) Georgia Southern against Buffalo, Uh, something there kind of interesting. Uh, I'll throw one to you. And I'm curious your thoughts. Air Force was a team that I, that I know you eventually cast your ticket on uh, for their season. Way too long. You had to sweat it a little bit, but you got there. Uh, Baylor against air force. Bowl, um, Armed Forces teams are usually pretty pretty good bets in the bowl season. Air Force is an underdog here against Baylor. Um, this this matchup is intriguing to me. They're catching six and a half. This game will be in Fort Worth, Texas. So, you know, Baylor not too far away, but obviously, you know, a big military state. So I think Air Force will have some, some following down there. That game can be taking place on December 22nd. I think that's an interesting matchup there in my eyes.
1: It is a really interesting matchup, and it's also interesting to me because it's one of my bigger overlays in the bowl season where I actually have Baylor about an 11.5-point favorite in this game. The market is 6-6.5. Six, six a half. couple things. I think, one, you do have to shade a service academy a little bit in a bowl game because they're very, very disciplined. You know they're going to be prepared. And as you mentioned, they historically have a great record of success in the bowl season. The second thing is... I mean, this game will be a rock fight, right? Baylor really wants to run the football. Obviously, we know Air Force is going to run the football. I think this total is probably going to go down from 47. And if you're expecting more of a tighter environment, you do have to regress your raw power rating line a little bit to kind of drag it down in a game that should be a lot of running, probably a lot of long possessions, stuff like that. So my line's a little bit high, I think, at half, But that is a fascinating game. And again, in particular, because... You know, the, the service academies just do really well. Troy Calhoun's an excellent head coach, too. I think Dave Aranda's a good head coach. Baylor's a pretty good defensive team. That that might be like a
0: 17-14 beat the hell out of each other kind of game. Last year, the Armed Forces Bowl ended on a, a last-second field goal from Army. They did not cover, but got the win against Missouri 24-22. Uh, this is also the site of Army beating Houston 70-14 in 2019 and I believe Army had 10 drives and that had 10 touchdowns in that game so uh, that's a, that's one that, that intrigues me a little bit Will Grayson McCall play in the Birmingham Bowl against East Carolina uh, that'll be a, a game on December 27th at 645 Eastern obviously Jamie Chadwell uh, you know I guess the the prerequisite to be the head coach of Liberty is to get your ass kicked in your last game because uh, Hugh Freeze <laughs> got that done uh, in his final game. And then uh, Jamie Chadwell and company got smoked against Troy. But, uh, you know, interesting uh, interesting matchup there. Uh, we'll, we'll go through all of these. I, I do want to hit on Notre Dame to South Carolina real quick and what you did with this number. Because this game, Drew Pine and the people that I've spoken to uh, apparently said Notre Dame was, was very surprised that Drew Pine hit the portal now and is not going to play in this bowl game. Uh, Meeting with the media, Marcus Freeman on Sunday night after the bowl game was announced, said that Tyler Buckner, the preseason starter started against Ohio state, started against Marshall, then broke his collarbone uh, has been practicing. He said he's full go. I'll believe it when I see it. This line is Notre Dame minus four and a half. There's some strengths there for the Irish, but the quarterback play is a massive question mark. Considering Drew Pine is gone and uh, You know, Spencer Rattler, assuming he plays, has been playing much better these last couple games.
1: Yeah, the irony of this is that the quarterback position was a huge question mark for South Carolina most of the year. And then all of a sudden in November, Spencer Rattler just had a, I don't know if they were out-of-body experiences or if maybe he's just figured it out and him and Shane Beamer work really well together, but South Carolina's offense was bad most of the year. I mean, they really built the early part of their record by, having success on special teams. They were blocking punts. They were running stuff back for touchdowns, all those kinds of things. The offense was horrific. And then all of a sudden they hang a big number on Tennessee. They beat Clemson for the first time in a million years. They are riding into the bowl season with a ton of momentum. There's a ton of momentum at that university in general right now for that football program. I would fully expect Gamecock nation to travel very, very well down to Jacksonville for this game I don't know if the Notre Dame fan base will be as intrigued as fired up as South Carolina's will be. I have this they will line. Not
0: tell, I'll tell you right now.
1: I have this line Notre Dame minus six, but again, I mean, you know, pine leaving is kind of a weird thing. They they've had, you know, been in a state of flux of the quarterback position. And South Carolina's just having fun with it. I mean, last year they didn't even have a quarterback in the bowl game. It was DeKaryon joiner who was recruited as a quarterback, became a wide receiver, went back to play quarterback, and I think in the bowl game, he was like nine of nine for like three hundred some yards or something ridiculous. Um I don't know, but I'll be curious to see how Marcus Freeman fares with that extra prep time for the first time and see if he's able to figure out how to slow down this uh, all of a sudden juggernaut offense.
0: Yeah. I, it hasn't been official yet. I would be stunned if Michael Mayer played yeah. in this bowl game. Also, I would also which, be very surprised if Isaiah Foskey played in this bowl game. as which well. Let's for talk Dame. about
1: that for a minute. Right. So a lot of line movement in these bowls here today, you know, the transfer portal is really fired up here today. Obviously you've got coaches and coordinators moving around and all that market entry, the timing of placing your bet for a bowl game is, is harder than ever before. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do try to get out in front of these moves. They probably took Oregon State last night, thinking maybe Anthony Richardson would opt out. You know, we'll see if Bryce Young ends up playing for Alabama when they take on Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. You know, you, you try to get in front of some of these things. Sometimes you'll be right, sometimes you'll be wrong. But, you know, that South Carolina line is down to four and a half now. Is that because of Pine, or is that because of the expectation that maybe Michael Mayer, who's been virtually the whole passing offense for Mm -hmm. this team all year long. Maybe it's the assumption that he's not going to play. So you try to read into some of these things. For example, as we're talking here, as we're recording uh, the line for Eastern Michigan and San Jose state is dropping a little bit. Brent Brennan has been rumored to possibly be in consideration for the Stanford job. San Jose state's head coach. Is that maybe an indicator of something like that going on where Eastern Michigan is not a team that I would want to bet in a bowl game going all the way out to Boise for the potato bowl a game that, you will be at be there. Um, So, you know, it's just really, really challenging to, to try and enter the market here for these games, trying to guess if some of these guys will opt out for the draft and also who will leave in the portal. If a coach leaves, you can assume there will be a mass exodus from the portal, but it's really, really hard from a market entry standpoint, unless you're out there trying to grab numbers. It's hard to handicap these games so far in advance.
0: One game, uh, And I joked about it. You know, Washington, I think, has got to be pretty bummed out because if USC wins on Friday night, Washington's going to the Rose Bowl. And instead, they have to go to the Alamo Bowl against Texas. So the opponent certainly maybe adds some intrigue, the fact that it is a top 25 Texas team. Michael Penix announced he's coming back. No opt-out there. Did you hear how he did it? I did not. So
1: apparently, like nobody really knew what the situation was going to be with Michael Penix and they had a team banquet and they handed out, you know, like season awards and all that. And at the end of the banquet, at least this is what it was reported on Twitter. At the end of the banquet, Michael Penix had this video that said that he was coming back
0: and apparently the entire place just erupted. (laughs) So so. they're going to be pretty juiced up for that game and they could score some points. Uh, they're laying three and a half. So that's certainly a bowl game that, uh, that I am pretty uh, am pretty intrigued Sark about up
1: against this former team too. Yeah, I, I
0: like what these little storylines kind of come. All right, together give me a couple bit. more. That uh, you get the the true battle of Kansas Arkansas against Kansas, <laughs> uh, Missouri too. Chicken to play uh, Kansas in a bowl game, so the Liberty Bowl Arkansas and Kansas. KJ Jefferson announced he's coming back, so he will be playing in this bowl game, which I think adds some intrigue to that one. As well, uh, get, before we uh, sign off, and once again, I think you and I have uh, determined we'll we'll come back on Thursday. Just kind of hit on a couple other maybe notes that we we like from these early bowl thoughts. Um, but a couple bowl games that, that that intrigue you. Obviously, we haven't really hit on any of the New Year's six games either.
1: Well, from a betting standpoint, I really like Utah against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Penn State is a team that beats up on inferior competition and really doesn't play well against teams that are on their level or better. Utah is better than them. So I do think Utah, especially with what happened in last year's Rose Bowl against Ohio State, that back and forth game, they want to win this one. I think anything under a field goal is way too low.
0: Yeah, and it opened a pick at DraftKings and got bet up to two and a half. And it looks like they're trying to keep it at two and a half. It looks like three will hit, happen at some point. Uh, we haven't seen anyone here in Las Vegas. I guess C- Caesars is still has two and a half. Uh, we had Hans Olsen on who covers, uh, played at BYU, but covers Utah football now up in Salt Lake City. And he said that, you Know Kyle Winningham, in addition to obviously wanting to win, and this is pre Pac 12 championship. But he said he really wants to win a Rose Bowl, and uh, you know, certainly over time, some of these games have lost some of their luster, uh, you know, just because of the way the playoff is is, is uh, situated. I think Utah is gonna be incredibly motivated. I think Penn State will be motivated too, but I, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. I think Utah's uh is certainly worth a look in that massive spot. coaching mismatch. James yeah. Franklin is good
1: off the field. I don't think James Franklin is good on the field. And Kyle Whittingham's a the top 10, top five coach in college football, massive coaching mismatch. I will not be betting this game, but I think it's hysterical that the total for Iowa and Kentucky is 31 and a half. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. He's <laughs> playing quarterback. I, who knows? No, and will Levis wildcat for Kentucky. They're just yeah. going to run the ball. They're going to play triple option and run the ball 60 times. One other one I think we should mention really quickly here because I'm curious if by the time we reconvene on Thursday, if this line will have moved for Christmas Eve, the Hawaii Bowl, Middle Tennessee and San Diego State, San Diego State goes to Hawaii every other year. Mm -hmm. This is a vacation for Middle Tennessee. I mean, yeah, they probably want to go out there and win. I guess you don't want to travel, what, probably 10 or 11 hours to go out there and get your ass kicked. But, you know, San Diego State, they play there all the time. So I don't know if this maybe doesn't feel like that much of a prize for them, but you know they are out there quite often to the point where they'll probably be a little bit more focused on
0: that game than Middle Tennessee will. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin, from my understanding, I think Jim Leonard's still going to coach this game. Um, I guess nothing's really been set in concrete on that one. They play Oklahoma State. Spencer Rattler, who somehow still has eligibility, has uh, entered the transfer portal. So, all right, there you go. Wait, what? So, yeah. I believe, really? I believe I saw okay. that. Yeah, I mean, just double-check. I thought I saw <laughs> that. Uh, the, the transfer portal. I'm not I'm Spencer cruel. Sanders. Excuse me, Spencer Sanders. Go. Not okay. Spencer Rattler. My, I beg your pardon. Spencer Sanders has entered the transfer portal, so uh, he will not and be playing. What a mess Oklahoma State was at the end of the year. Yeah, they were a fun team to fade uh, down the stretch. All right, that's going to do it uh, for this edition. I know we were kind of all over the place. We'll, uh, we'll try to put our thoughts together a little bit more, and we'll have more on uh, some of the opt-outs that I imagine will come out throughout this week. More people hitting the transfer portal, maybe more coaching changes. Uh, so we will get you updated on all of that. Uh, Adam and I will be back on Thursday. Matt Humans will join us next week as we get closer to bowl games. They have Army-Navy this weekend. We'll do a little bit on Army-Navy on Thursday as well. And then next week is when the bowl games start. First one on December 16th. Two bowl games on that day. The Bahamas Bowl and the Cure Bowl. But that's going to do it. Make sure to check out all of Adam's written work on vsin.com. We will also have our bowl betting guide. We'll have a file on the website with previews of every single bowl game as well. So make sure to stick around to vsin.com We'll have updates on all of that. But for Adam Burke, at Skating Tripods on Twitter, I'm Tim Murray. We'll be back later this week with another edition of the v Sin College Football Betting Podcast.